Hey everyone, this is the Nips and Sips podcast. Uh, Feature me, I'm Dr. Jeremy Boyd and my partner in crime over there, Dr. Brandon Cruz. Today we're going to uh, talk about something that a viewer or listener uh, brought up to us, uh, kind of about the history of manual therapy. Uh, I guess you can say the different tribes are led by different leaders, uh, such as Paris, um, Cattleborn, uh, Maitland, and a couple others. Uh, we're going to go into like soft tissue and some manual therapy or manipulative therapy. Uh, I feel like this one will probably take a couple episodes, uh, maybe a two-part series. Uh, but we'll uh, kind of go into different styles and uh, take it from there. But uh, before I get into it too much, Brandon, how's it going? Going well, Jared. Thanks for the intro. Yes, this is a um, this is a great topic, if especially if uh, you're a bit of a geek like we are. Um, I guess my background, and I, I got to reach out to uh, to him. Probably one of the smartest men I've interacted with. Uh, the ran my uh, fellowship program at Regis, Ken McDonald. Uh, basically, you know, in in a nutshell, we we were in a fellowship weekend talking. Uh, I had asked a question. Um, we were kind of having just a, a kind of roundtable discussion. Um, myself and a couple people kind of it kind of just came about of about manual therapy and the history of physical therapy in general. And he literally just went down a rabbit hole from why we are where we're at as a profession, you know, talking about the restrictions we have, direct access, um, or, or the, the limitations each state has, payment throughout the nation, why we're not respected, and, you know, to kind of explain why we're, where we're at, he went down the, the history, and my jaw dropped. It was about a 45 to an hour long, just him going off the top of his dome uh, about the history of manual therapy. Um, and this is irrespective of joint-based manipulations, mobilization, soft tissue, dry needling, like this just went back hundreds of years, um, all the way up to basically present day. And like I said, I need to reach out to him and see if he'll, he'll do a podcast uh, with us. Um, I don't know if we want him talking uh, about this topic now that we're doing about two episodes of it uh, coming up. But I mean, that guy, that guy's awesome. If you, I think he's been on AOMP's um, podcast as well, talking about some various stuff. I think he was on a health education transformation podcast. Um, but the guy's definitely a mover and a shaker in the field. I will do my best to pass on some of the knowledge that he has passed on to me, some of the wisdom that he has. So I do apologize now if um, I misquote him and if uh, I'm not going to do as good of a job, I'll tell you that right now, but we'll, we'll do our best. Um, and just prepping for this show, um, you know, looking at it, I mean, th this, there's a lot of detail in here, guys. Um, probably why we're going to be extending it to, uh, to two episodes at least just to try and get uh, everything in there. But um, Enough on that, as I already ranted, and we're not even five minutes into the show. Let me talk about my right. drink, and then I'll pass it off to Jeremy. I have uh, the um, Bal Balvenet, or Balvenie, I should say, um, Scotch whiskey. It's actually a little light because we've been sitting here talking, uh, Jeremy and I. Um, this is a 12-year aged, uh, uh, aged in two barrels. I actually have the bottle here. This was a gift from my buddy uh, Eugene uh, from PET school. Uh, he has actually his own practice as well. You've met him, I think, one or two times, Jer. Mm -hmm. So the first uh, casket, it's um, uh, 
what you would call it in, uh, maturated in or stored in is a traditional whiskey, has whiskey oak, vanilla spice, things like that. The second barrel or cask um, it's, uh, it's stored in is uh, more of a fruity, kind of a little bit of honey uh, taste single malt there. Uh, so that's what I have today on the rocks. Um, uh, did I say this was, a, this was a birthday gift? Anyway, I'm, yeah. I'm losing already. So yeah, this was uh, my 31st birthday. A couple, couple weeks old. I'm now home. I'm trying to, uh, if you listen to our last podcast, trying to switch it up a little bit so I'm not always uh, staying with it. Uh, Jared, I will say thank you to the bourbon you got me. Very nice bottle. Pristine there. <laughs> was going to crack it open and I was like, I can't yet. Um, not to say our show isn't worth it. But um, I feel like you need to be there to take in part, actually, oh, side yeah. by side and not virtually. So I do want to save that for you. It's a very nice bottle. Um, I will keep the suspense there and not uh, mention what you got me for the audience, but they will get their turn to hear about it. There we go. Uh, so what, what next celebration. Um, so this thing, I guess, uh, did come from you. Is that little, uh, that winter pack series that we got at the, uh, was the uh, Christmas collaborative traffic the pursuit party yeah so uh uh this might be i think there's one more there's a chocolate stout it didn't seem like it was uh cold enough for that today so i went with this one which also is this is a kentucky vanilla barrel cream ale which was aged in bourbon barrel so we're on the same page here obviously not tested this puppy out yet but um looking forward to it and then uh yeah, does Cam drink? Um, yeah, of course he does. Um, he uh, so Cam was a me and Jeremy harassed him. Quick story about Cam. That's this is so fun. We, we harassed him to uh, at our last AM conference. It was down in Florida last October. So me and Jeremy was uh, went down a day early to uh, golf. It's our new hobby now, and. Mm-hmm. The last day, the last day of the conference is really only half a day. So Jeremy and I took late flights. We skipped the uh, the morning session um, of the conference and we're golfing again. So we asked Kyle to play with us. So Kyle was down. And last minute, I asked Cam. I was like, you want to play with us? Uh, not knowing Cam has a pretty good golf history. Um, but Cam's like, all right, let me see what I can do. He's like, I'm very busy. You should ask me sooner. Yada, yada. We're, we're in the middle of like finishing up the day of a conference and he was supposed to have a meeting at night. Um, lo and behold, he makes the meeting he was supposed to have basically right there in the conference um, bar room, um, gets what he needs to get done. He called me over for some reason. Um, and I was like, basically like, what do you want? And he's like, you want me to play golf with you tomorrow? Answer my question. So uh, I, I don't know. I helped him out whatever he needed. And then he got to play golf. Mid-round, I found out he was like a junior Olympic golf stud. Mm-hmm. Um, probably had to pick up a club in years and was, was still wiping the, the floor with uh, Yumi and oh, Kyle. Their ass. Um, it, was, uh, it was fun to go out and, and play with him. Yeah. Well, we tied, didn't we tie? We have to reach out to him and get him on here now. We're, we've talked about it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, you know, if he can get on here and you know, enlighten us. And, uh, you know, he's one of the uh, top clinicians out there and, you know, I respect him highly, and you know he didn't even talk too much PT when we were out golfing, but he blew my mind. So you can just, you know, be around certain clinicians, you can tell uh, who knows their stuff and everything like that. But uh, you know, back to my beer, Jeremy Boyd rating. Uh, this is really good. I'm not a big 
vanilla-y type of person, but this was good. I mean, definitely hit your nose with it. Um, kind of vanilla toffee style, but uh, um, I'm going to give this uh, like for a cream ale, which I don't usually go for. I'm going to give this 8.1. That's pretty, pretty good. So thank Very you there, Brandon. No problem. And I said white Christmas. Uh, ch- uh, Chinese Christmas? What, white what elephant? White oh, elephant. White elephant. That's what I confuse all the time. Forgive me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, ch- um, that one. The cup one. here. So, all right, let's uh, let's dive in. Um, I guess let's. And I know Jeremy typically says fast forward the past five minutes or whatever mumbo jumbo that we talk about. Um, and if you're yep. now at I don't know whatever minute this is, I do advise you just to listen to the beginning because you may feel like this podcast is a bit incomplete if you didn't kind of hear some of the stuff we talked yeah. about at the beginning. But with that, Jeremy, what was the question? Um, I don't know if uh, you want to name the individual, leave him anonymous, uh, uh, but this kind of what is what spurned it. And then it kind of grew tentacles when Jeremy and I were preparing for the. Yeah. So I'll just go first name basis, Jimmy, uh, one of our listeners. He said, um, the boy, I really enjoy the podcast. Well, thank you. Uh, Oh, we got another, we got a follow-up question on our butt massage uh, one, by the way. I have to fill you in on that. But um, do you think you can do a small discussion regarding go-to literature or authors for specific topics, um, i.e. Paris Mulligan for manual therapy, Yanda or Chateau for uh, METs, uh, just thinking for literature literature to bolster clinical understanding. So, um, yeah, we figure we can get into some of the, research and then um a lot of people um just don't know what type is what they're taught some manual therapy don't know really the background to a lot of it um that includes myself personally uh, i was just taking what my ci taught me and I just applied it um and didn't really i know it was a lot maitland at first but it was probably a blend of a lot of things so kind of diving into where it all came from and um, where all is now is, is important. And we're going to talk about a lot of different styles of manual therapy uh, and go into like the forefathers of them and such and so forth. But that uh, was cool. I, I did a little research myself beforehand as they all had a similar theme of, uh, yes, they had their own technique and a lot of them named them after themselves or whatever it may be. Kudos to them. We got to create the cruise Boyd, uh, some fancy name or something like that. Manual well, we therapy. We already have the cuboid. That we're cuboid. On. We have the cruise crack. So, um, but it was cool to see even these some of these techniques which were created. You know, uh, hundreds. Of, like we're going now hundreds of years, um, um, and going all the way back to Hippocrates and those sort of things. Is they did these techniques and then they got their clients moving. Uh, a lot of me, you know, obviously, manual therapy is bashed that just assume that all you do is manual therapy but even way 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 back was it was an adjunctive to movement but uh yeah so that was the that was a question um also about so thank you jimmy for you know stirring this up and uh i'm looking forward to this two-part series probably yeah jimmy great question um i guess in short just to kind of answer that first part um about the research uh i wouldn't say you know Yonda and and Mulligan and you know some of these people well you know Syriacs and stuff some of these people are dead so I mean they're not doing research per se 
but uh, if you if you just um, if you follow like JOSPT, I would say JMMT. Um, those are you know that's uh, the Journal of Manipulative Manual Therapy. Um, there are a couple other ones that are putting out good research. Typically, the main authors that study a manual therapy are really its effects. Um, at least right now are the the Childs, the Tim Flynn's, the Cleland's, uh, Whitman, Puentadura, Adrian Lowe, um, Ken McDonald's. I mean, I'm, I'm probably missing, Scott Burns. Um, I'm missing some stuff uh, there. Uh, I, I know I am not to, to slide anybody, but that's what they're looking at in terms of what are the effects. And, and typically, yes, it's, it's manipulation and mobilization, but that's not to mm. say that you can't do a, a mulligan um, mobilization with movement um, with that. So I would say, look, trying to research, you know, the topic, and I'm sure you could, you could type in, there's case studies, um, which sometimes are, are, are good to get insight of, uh, you know, a technique or a method somebody's doing. Um, so I would say start there. Um, after you kind of master that and understand how you're treating, uh, I've taken, AOM tends to be, you know, my go-to or even IFOMT. I mean, you're amongst the, the top of the top. And I have, um, I have a PowerPoint here. This one was by Paul Minkin. Uh, I forget what year. This was Salt Lake City. So 2017, basically, this, this one's awesome. It's called The Manual Therapy World is No Longer Flat. Uh, you know, we used to think as clinicians, and unfortunately, some clinicians out there, um, especially these, these social media gurus tend to think that uh, manual therapy is in isolation um, and that's all we do. And yeah, while our approach was, which was once very biomechanical in nature, has evolved to uh, a multi-specific approach, neurophysiological, biochemical, um, even placebo and things like that. So I'll leave it at that. Um, and, and with that, we have to understand where we were. And I think probably where most of this conversation is going to be is kind of the history of manual therapy. And then we'll um, move forward there. But Jeremy, I saw you had some uh, that lovely article talking about the history. If you could kick us off with that. Uh, yeah. Jim, I hope I answered your question um, or at least part of it. And then we can continue on going from there. Yeah. So this is, um, this is a good article for pretty much this whole topic that we're going to be having. Uh, it's manual therapy, the historical current and future role in uh, treatment and pain. Uh, it was in the scientific world journal. Um, it was actually in all the way in 2007, but we're seeing similar themes, uh, 2007. And it's like, yeah, it was 2007. And I'm like, damn, that was 13 years ago. Shit. <laughs> um, but, um, so, you know, Russell Smith, who's in the Department of AT and uh, Physical Therapy, uh, University of North Florida. Uh, where's my highlights? Okay, yeah. So this one, it was cool. Uh, he went into like the, you know, just like all the way back into the history of when it all happened. I was talking about Hippocrates and those sort of things. Uh, I think there's some mentioning of like Hippocrates used to do a technique off of a ladder, you know, had to like people with like back issues inverted off of a ladder, um, doing some, I guess, various of thrust or manual techniques. Uh, so that's going all the way back, you know, fifth century BC, uh, as stated in the here. And it kind of goes into, you know, in the second century, uh, you know, different doctors or physicians at the times, um, and what they, 
what they did and then went to the history of like bone setters and uh, 19th century. We're talking about, you know, Dr. Andrew Taylor still and um, David Palmer and the, you know, the osteopathic and chiropractic um, ages and those sort of things. And then starts talking about, you know, physical therapy and how we were kind of educated by Manel and Syriacs. Um, but is kind of going into the, like the purpose of why we're doing things where, where we are. And again, even 2007, um, it kind of highlights certain things of, you know, spinal manipulation was, is effective for especially people with acute low back pain. Um, you know, it even brings up, uh, the, um, Tim Flynn study of the, uh, treatment based classification and, uh, you know, the, I mean, the CPR for, uh, you know, a lumbar manipulation, uh, it goes into things about cervicogenic headaches, uh, you know, even goes all the way into like ankle sprains and uh, peripheral manipulations and just highlighting what, what's effective and what doesn't seem to be effective at that current time. Um, so really good article starting to just talk about first mostly joint manipulation or mobilizations. It even goes into uh, massage therapy. Uh, so, you know, most of what it's indicated for could be, you know, delayed onset muscle soreness. Uh, a lot of people throw, you know, massage under the bus. Do I do a ton of massage? No. Uh, or soft tissue techniques? Uh, not as much as I used to. Like, will I use it if someone, especially a high level athlete, sore and I feel like their treatment's not going to be effective because they are too sore? or that positive psychological effect of decreasing anxiety and stress. Some people just need a little TLC. Um, you know, you know, I do have that in my toolbox. I don't throw it under the bus, uh, just because it's, you know, not at proven beyond that. Um, but it goes into that, it goes into, uh, back in 2007, limited research existed with nerve mobilizations. We now know that that research we, is starting to kind of come out. Um, when we talked about that, we had a great uh, discussion on neural dynamics. Um, but uh, overall, really good uh, article, shows some techniques, um, just to kind of discussing the history of manual therapy in a short, I think it's what, three or four pages? Uh, seven, seven pages of words. So um, just a really good one uh, to, to kind of get you going if you're kind of curious about kind of how manual therapy came to be uh, without going. I mean, I've read articles and uh, blogs that go into, you know, 10, 20, 30 pages. Uh, it gets a little bit lengthy over time. But um, yeah, Brandon, do you want to go that's ahead? Great. What about this? No, I was just saying, thanks for sharing that. That's a, that's a great article. I actually haven't seen that one. Um, if you can actually send me that when we're done, that'd be awesome. I kind of want to, that's actually a great segue uh, on what you put, especially that first half, because um, as you know, and maybe some listeners know, um, I have, uh, we, we host courses. Um, they're obviously manual, uh, manual therapy based, um, especially on the manipulation side. And when we advertise or promote our course, uh, something, one is coming up um, pretty much uh, every time. We got at least one Cairo or uh, DO that comments um, pretty negatively on the fact that, you know, here we go again, a physical therapist is, is doing a uh, manipulation, which they shouldn't be doing. 
a, or you're not trained to be doing that, or that's not in your scope of practice, or we invented that, you're, you're, you're taking that from us. Uh, one I got was AT scale, still would be rolling over in his grave. Um, I remember that one. So AT still was the um, founder of osteopathic medicine. Um, and we have DD Palmer is the founder of, of orthopedic medicine or uh, DO. Doctor of Osteopathic, um, and we have C uh, James Syriax um, as Edgar too. Oh, I'm sorry, what? There's Edgar too, right? People oh yeah, I was just going to get to that. Yep, yep, yep. You, you, you jumped the gun on me. Uh, James Syriax, <laughs> which was uh, an orthopedist, right? And we we look at him as one of the orthopedic, uh, you know, physician, surgeon, you know, forefathers. Um, has the contractile uh, tissue if there's a lesion, if it's if it's uh, strong and painful, it's a mild lesion. If it's uh, weak and painless, there's probably compete there. We probably went all over that in PT school. However, his father, Edgar Syriax, um, used to be a or was a physiotherapist uh, in the 1800s, um, late 1700s, early 1800s. Um, so you could really say that therapy or any of these manual therapists um therapy disciplines branch from what we know what we what is what was pre previously physiotherapy or physical therapy and then has evolved into different branches uh, across uh history so um with that said my answer to these people who uh tend to try and belittle us as a profession um, and it really comes down to ignorance and them not knowing the history. This is where I really began to, to love the history of manual therapy um, is while AT still started the first osteopathic school in America in the late 1800s. Uh, however, he did not create these techniques. Uh, the techniques known as manipulation and mobilization uh, were being uh, performed well prior to him. Uh, in Sweden in the early 1800s, physiotherapists such as P.H. Ling, Kellegren, Edgar Syriax, which is James Syriax's father, uh, were performing these manual therapy um, slash medicine back then. So it can be said that these techniques uh, are originate from physical therapists, which is what I just said. Manual therapy, manual medicine, orthopedic therapy, um, et cetera, whatever classification or umbrella you want to put it under, have been developed over time uh, across four professions, physical therapists, DOs, DCs, MDs, over the course of hundreds of years. And Jeremy alluded to even back to um, Hippocrates in the what, 1500s. Um, you had bone centers in like the 1600. Uh, and basically, they didn't really understand the, the science. And we still don't even understand the science. But literally, they were, they were like breaking bones and uh, setting bones. And, and, you know, some people would heal and some you know, had other complications, but they were onto something. Obviously, mm -hmm. from 14 to 50, 1500, we have progressed to now year 2020 and, and what we do. Um, so it's important to understand that these techniques are shared amongst and across different professions. Uh, obviously, right now we're talking about joint-based manual therapy, but you can talk about dry needling or acupuncture or A-STEM versus gua sha, um, cupping, uh, soft tissue massage, rolfing, reiki. I mean, you, the, the list goes on. Uh, obviously, you know, our biases, Jeremy and I is more on the uh, joint base side. Um, but I mean, you can, you can go across the board here. 
um, a technique. It's important to understand technique is not a profession. And these are techniques that more PTs need to be incorporating, at least here in America. I mean, you go to Australia, New Zealand, these guys, you know, are, are manipulating day one. But for some reason, there, there's a hesitancy in physical therapists in the United States. And some of it may be because of training. Uh, it may be because they are not confident. It may be because they don't want to offend another profession. Um, but, you know, not performing manipulations because you lack confidence or afraid, you're, you're, you're lacking or you're, you're denying your patients a, a certain level and quality of care. And if you're not doing it because you're afraid of stepping on someone's toes, uh, another professional's toes, or you feel like it's not in your scope of practice, part of that becomes uh, on you, the clinician, to educate yourself on one, what your practice act is in the state um, that you practice in, and not necessarily letting another profession dictate what you can or can't do. So basically kind of step up your game. Um, in states that no manipulation is allowed, can you do a grade five mobilization? Can you do a thrust mobilization? There are great areas around it. Um, I will kind of take a break there, Jer. If, uh, I don't know if you have any anything else before oh. I dive into to Cam's lecture he had, uh, uh, I think in St. Louis, so 2015, 2016, he presented. Uh, that's where I got a lot of this information from. So I can't say what I just said is my own thoughts. Um, they are from um, Cam McDonald specifically. I'm sure he's gotten them from other people along the way as well. So, um, Yeah, so um, I think based off of like what you said, I just wanted to make really one point of, um, especially you know, in America, you know, PTs not either doing manual therapy or um, not being confident in it. And we kind of discussion in an episode was that whether you're a lazy PT or not. Um, and mm -hmm. with all these techniques, whatever one you want to talk about, apply, uh, maybe we should go into different styles before you just real quick, who's who, what's what. Um, but you know, what we know from mostly research and all these sort of things is manual therapy. If anything, you can sum it down, um, has a, has a great short term effect. Um, and I, I won't get into the whole details about how I've had very effective outcomes for individuals with chronic pain that, you know, we're able to get full resolution with the implementation of manual therapy. But, you know, if you can, kind of sum it down with a lot of things. It does have, um, if you're looking at it, like longitudinal studies and everything like that is, you know, the manual therapy groups tend to do better earlier and often, even though there's, I think there's a shoulder subacromial impingement syndrome where people at manual therapy did even better in the long term than those who just did supervised exercises. Uh, I'll find the exit that one. Um, but, um, you know, we talk about, you know, if you're not applying or doing those sort of things and we have a chronic pain problem in this country, how often are those people becoming chronic pain patients because physical therapy wasn't fast enough in a quick fix society getting some sort of relief uh, or symptom modification or those sort of things? And, you know, that's what whether whatever school or tribe you want to go to. Um, obviously, as we discussed before, we're 
Um, we definitely lean we're more biased towards the joint based side of things. And I'd say I'm biased because I'm constantly looking for a better way to improve myself, make myself more efficient. That's why I go through fellowship training and residency training to be more efficient, to discharge people quicker. Uh, Joint-based techniques seem to be more effective for me personally. You can talk about yourself there, Brandon, but we're talking about, you know, manual therapies, you know, can we prevent getting people into into uh, that chronic state or giving up too quick on manual uh, on exercises or just standard physical therapy. But um, yeah, I just want to get that off my chest based off of what you're saying there, Brandon. Um, but uh, I'll, you know, before I guess you get into some things, uh, I guess we can talk about some of the schools or different ones in case people are kind of confused about what, what I'm not going to go into too much depth. Um, but, uh, you know, if you haven't heard of Mulligan, I'll just start off like Mulligan is mobilizations with movement. Um, I'm something I'm a fan with is, you know, their big concept is, uh, reposition. Let's say you have a movement, it becomes painful. You reposition the joint, um, so that it, and then retest that motion as you reposition it. And if it's pain free, that's, uh, you have the move as you're doing it. So their big thing is. I think pill, which is pain-free, uh, instant relief, and long-lasting, P-I-L-L. Uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, a big one that most people know are like the is the ankle mobilization with movement. You're uh, stabilizing the talus and having the um, have them work into weight-bearing dorsiflexion. Um, there's you know muscle energy techniques. Uh, I think Dr. Fred Mitchell was the father of that. Uh, I know he. Um, Jimmy mentioned Chatao. I know he's a teacher of MET. Uh, that's pretty much using muscle contractions, uh, isometric muscle contractions to lead to a, um, you know, lengthening of tight, soft tissue. So during that little period where we do an isometric contraction, uh, stimulating those GTO or Golgi tendon organs, we can uh, facilitate the uh, lengthening of some of those tight structures. You're also going to get some decreased edema and a couple other things. Um, Cereax and Mendel, obviously we're starting to some obviously manipulation and joint techniques. Uh, Cereax also had a theory of cross friction massage, uh, which is essentially find something and rub the shit out of it. I guess is the uh, most based some down version of it and load it up with eccentrics. Um, there's a, a bunch more ca- Calborn um, theorized the whole conve- concave on convex rule, convex moving in the opposite direction, concave in the same direction when you're doing your joint mobilizations. And Maitland, which um, has physiological and accessory um, you know, joint uh, mobilizations, which I think is probably the most common um, thing. At least I thought, I assume most, most time when I talk to students, most people know the idea of Maitland. Um, did I miss any there, Brandon? Um, I, I mean, I think you, you at least hammered the, the, the original. Hey guys. Uh, oh, McKenzie, if you want to call him manual therapy. But therapy. I know his, a lot of it's hands off. But you also, there are parts of his program where your hands are on the patient. So I would, uh, pretty sure, what is it? It's Syriax, uh, Maitland, um, McKenzie and uh, Mulligan are like the forefathers. Yeah. Um, 
you threw in Clayton Bourne. I mean, he has – I know my PT school uh, entry-level training was Clayton Bourne, Convex Concave. Did not talk about Maitland. I had no idea what the fuck that was until oh. uh, residency. Um, <laughs> but, um, no, that, that's, that's a good point you brought up because um, there are like 12 different uh, programs that are approved. I think it's 12. Uh, Paris, they, I forget. Uh, yeah, I – I mean, I'm not. I'm not well versed on Paris. I, I know he was one of the well. founders of Aomt. Um, I don't know if he has necessarily his own. And I know styles. he has his own school, but I don't know mm-hmm. if he has his own um, "quote unquote" methodology with it. Mm-hmm. Um, or did he learn from Maitland and some other gurus along the way? And that's and then he started his own thing. I could I could be wrong on that. Um, but I think I know he's he's a, a definitely a mover and a shaker, a leader in the field. Not trying to take any credit from him. I, I don't think he has like a, a Maitland approach or, or something like that. I think um, or his own unique one. I think it stems from some other stuff. But I could be wrong. Mm. Um, and and yeah, and I'll, I'll talk later. But do you have anything else you're going to say? No, no, no. I just want to kind of clear up some things about if anybody was just kind of confused on different styles or they seen it, they seen a con ed course for it. Um, and obviously there's tons of other like people creating their own versions, you know, every, yeah. every week. Um, but these are, there's creating your own style and a lot of these individuals, they're all theories. Everything's, you know, theorized and those sort of things, but these, these, you know, people, uh, these forefathers and those sort of things, you know, you know, try and theorize actual, either neurophysiological or the, the biomechanical uh, components of things versus I'm just going to stretch a certain tissue and call it X, Y, Z. They try and back it up with some theories and a lot of stuff that, that we base off of today. Could they all be wrong? Yeah, sure. Um, but at least there's some theory principles behind it. But yeah, and I know you want to talk about um, what Cam brought up and uh, those sort of things. But, um, I, I might ch- hold off on, on what Cam said and the real history because um, a lot of the points you brought up, I think it's important to kind of probably wrap up or begin to wrap up this call with, um, though it might take another 10 minutes or so. Um, regardless of the technique, I, I mean, I think too many people, and we had a podcast on this, principles, principles versus methods, um, and I mean, you and I, obviously, with the courses we teach and stuff, we teach a lot of techniques, but it's important to understand the rationale behind it. Um, and, and I think how you understand the rationale behind it is understanding each person's viewpoint. And then, you know, you probably have to dive in deep to, to them, you know, down the rabbit hole. And then you have to pull yourself out and look across and see the similarities and see the differences um, that each you know, methodology um, has. And when it comes down to it as the principles, I, I said this earlier, um, it, it's very hard to disentangle all the possible effects that are going on, biomechanical, uh, mm-hmm. biopsychosocial, biochemical, uh, placebo, neurophysiological, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that kind of brings, uh, pause, I'll, I'll go to that in a second. I want to touch upon soft tissue because there's a lot of, um, courses out there that people spend five, seven, a thousand dollars on, five hundred, seven hundred, a thousand dollars on, if not more, for these certifications, 
for these soft tissue techniques. Um, and, you know, I, I want people to hopefully start questioning these things. And I, we can't say a name because we'll probably get in trouble for it. But the technique uh, soft tissue wise that you press down with uh, your thumb really hard and then you move them through a range of motion uh, and then you release it. Uh, and there's no, they're not approved for CEUs. And it's because normally to get approved for CEUs, you have to have uh, a five or seven years of um, evidence supporting it. Uh, that's in a research and there's very little on this area. Um, so, you know, ask yourself that yet they have the audacity to charge you $1,800 or $2,000 per car course and then have you maintain it yearly and the year or every two years, I don't even know, um, to then maintain the certification by your names. I mean, that's such a money grab. If you can't see the forest through the trees on that one, um, and is that any more effective than anything else? I don't know. Um, I don't think it is. Uh, if not, I think every clinician would, would take that. And there's, you know, different versions or different things out there. I'm not saying we can't do those techniques, but I want people to understand, don't, don't jump down at, you know, this rabbit hole and not be able to see the forest through the trees. I think the one thing that I really loved about the, uh, te uh temples residency and even Regis's fellowship and just kind of, you know, what I've learned along the way is it taught a variety of manual therapy techniques. We discussed a lot of different theories or a lot of what's out there, um, basically to, to give you the tools in the toolbox, but to also understand, um, you know, maybe one person might respond to uh, manipulation. Someone else is going to respond to immobilization. Somebody else might like a mulligan uh, mode with movement. Uh, you know, we need to be able to ebb and flow within, within that. Uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, uh, I agree. And I remember my mentor, Tom Michaels, um, he always talked about tribes and, you know, people sticking to one tribe. Um, and he, he would, he would essentially, he was knocking on that. And he's just like, um, even there's, was a, um, there's a biomechanical tribe. There's a you know, soft tissue tribe. There's even an evidence-based tribe. Uh, he was even saying that has its, its flaws and, you know, um, you need to be, you know, diverse and you need to, you need to understand. He always said the, the, the driver, that was always his big thing. Tom Michaels always said the driver. It's like, you need to figure out the driver first. He's just like, you can do whatever the hell you want, but figure out that driver, figure out what's causing things. Uh, and then, you know, who cares what tribe you're in? So I think, uh, you know, you know, I appreciate that about, you know, Temple. Um, I know my fellowship, they will go for, do mobilizations and then we'll do manipulations. Uh, then we'll do mobilizations with movements and then we'll do even METs um, all in one course, just in each area. So there, that's four different tribes. It's just like, you know, this may work for one person, and this may not work for another. And it's understanding there is no true homogeneous study. And there's no true, yeah, there's just no homogeneous study ever. Uh, you can try as much as you want. And that's the problem with, especially research, is we're trying to apply a fixed, especially interventions. I, it's one thing about your 
differential diagnosing sort of things and try and figure out what clusters can identify what group of something. But a especially in an intervention case, you know, trying to in these intervention studies is all right, we have to stick to this protocol of you know certain interventions tested against this exact specific protocol of certain interventions and apply it to a homogeneous study, which even with if you took identical twins and just had an identical twin study case, they're still not homogeneous. Uh, environmental factors, all these sort of things, changes each and individual person, and they're you gotta take respect to their cognitive, their emotional state, all these sort of things, and that's why maybe one technique can be effective for another person. Why just exercise may be the way to go for someone else versus a ton of hands-on may be necessary for the other or high education or blend of all. So yeah, just kind of take that into account. I don't know how I got into that tangent, but uh, Brandon, I know you were just about to put up something. So let's, let's transition to that. No worries. All good stuff, man. Um, this, this lecture, or I shouldn't even say uh, teaching, we just had a course this weekend. This, um, this topic um, definitely has tentacles, man. Um, this is a, a PowerPoint. And I mentioned this earlier today, um, a lecture. And I was actually, when prepping for this, I was like, wow, this, I remember sitting in on this a few years back and it was like, you know, it definitely made you question things and take a step back on, on some beliefs. And, uh, I think at that time I was maybe two or three years out, had my OCS. I think maybe I just had my SES or was prepping for it. Right. So double board certified, you know, think I knew what I was doing. Um, I think I knew everything about physical therapy or close to it. And, uh, Paul, who's always very good at, um, making you become real reflective, um, in your approach and, and what we're doing. Um, he was the keynote this year. And one of his talks was this, the manual therapy world is no longer flat. Obviously once upon a time, we learned this in history that we all thought that the earth was flat. And then uh, we found out it wasn't, though Kyrie Irvin still thinks it is. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, but dating back to 200 BC to the 1980s, we probably had this more uh, biomechanical point of view. Uh, I think, uh, Jerry, you'll like this. We have Melon, uh, Man, 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 I came and talk. Manel, Manel. Uh, Syriax, Graves, or Greaves, Maitland, Claytonborn, Claytonborn, however you say his name, Mackenzie Mulligan. That was like all big manual therapy tribes. Um, then over time, that piggybacked and became more pain science-y, which I think this is great. Um, LV, Butler, Gifford, uh, Butler, Mosley, and Joe Nish. You could probably put Adrian Lowe in there as well, too, now, uh, as well as maybe some others. Um, and then we have some neurodynamics, Butler as well there. Uh, so manual therapy begins to branch out. And I think this is good because a lot of people think manual or pain science is not manual therapy, but obviously we've talked about that it is. Um, so hopefully people seeing this and might help them uh, change their viewpoint. Uh, this whole PowerPoint kind of goes over the shift that we need to make. And um, our profession is huge on this, sadly. Uh, we tend to bounce to the newest flavor. Um, that pendulum swings hard one way and swings back the other way. And, uh, I think clinicians need to really do a better job of kind of staying grounded and being able to, uh, see the forest, through the trees, uh, on certain things. 
uh, and maybe uh, stand more in the middle ground. Uh, unfortunately, when it comes to advertising and marketing, uh, middle ground does not sell. Um, you know, having a, a right wing or left wing uh, stance is in, in making some outrageous claim um, gets you traction, you know, and gets people to comment whether it's uh, for or against you. So I guess from a, a marketing standpoint, that works. But when you're trying to treat somebody, um, you know, say, saying what's in vogue or doing what's in vogue isn't always the, the, the best thing um, there. Uh, what was it? Chad Cook talks about he goes to a manual therapy. Did I pass that? I hope not. Goes to a manual therapy conference and stumbled upon a pain science conference. Um, and that's, you know, just to give you an idea, AM for a while um, really swung into, you know, patient education and pain science and things. And, um, you know, as a whole, going to a manual therapy conference, it was hard for clinicians to really um, swallow, swallow that pill. You know, we have uh, hallmark studies such as the CPR, the low back. Um, CPR for manipulation. We have the neck uh, CPR for manipulation, shoulder pain CPR for manipulation that are maybe now being proven as maybe it's not so much those factors, but we need to be able to take a step back. Um, here we go. Here's the, uh, the quote I was talking about. But I think it's important no matter what manual therapy paradigm, um, it doesn't try not to fall too far into it and be able to understand when you're going to use uh, one technique or over another. And it's really that clinical decision-making. Um, but I think the way we are by clinicians and what we like to do, we like that shiny new toy, you and I, and other basically manual therapists, we wanted to learn all the techniques in the world. Um, now being seasoned vets and having the training that we have, we know, um, it's not necessarily the technique. We probably use the same five or 10 techniques all the time. Uh, mm -hmm. But knowing all the other ones are, are good to know if that patient um, needs that one off technique that isn't, you know, the, uh, at the top of our toolbox. Um, it's good to know those. And I think our rationale pivots or comes from learning all these different elements. Then you learn how to use things. Can we expedite clinicians learning curve by saying, okay, begin, you know, doing the basics real well, or, or, or begin with this approach instead of, it seems like all the manual therapists, um, and I shouldn't even say that all the highly skilled therapists, um, you know, want to learn everything. And by doing that, they then at the back end, learn the clinical decision-making. So maybe it just might be a, uh, you know, a part of the, the trade type of deal. Um, but I think that this is big, that understanding that manual therapy doesn't define us. It's a tool um, and we have to learn which one to use it, whether it's, you know, one of the seven that um, or four or five that Jeremy talked about, or if we're talking soft tissue um, and then some of the other concepts, whether it's nociceptive um, or central mediated uh, or pain science, you know, central sensitization, what else is going on? Um, at the level of hand. So I guess we'll kind of wrap up today's podcast unless Jerry, you have anything else um, to add in there, but yeah, this is a great, yeah. this is a great, great PowerPoint. I need to probably brush up on even more because yeah. uh, um, I don't think I have that one. If you could, I'll trade you one, one article for a, for a presentation there, but I was like reading it through as you're, I was like, this is good. 
Yeah. Uh, but now I totally agree with the whole toolbox and the, it's a tool concept. Uh, even at my, one of my last courses or fellowship weekends, we were just learning a ton of techniques. Um, and even to me at that point, it was just like, well, I was just like, uh, I think it was uh, Ben Volkman was, was the uh, PT teacher. And I was just like, do you use all these in your practice? He's like, he's like, no, no, no. He's like, I didn't come out of this course using maybe four or five new ones, but you know, you keep this manual in here or you, it's in the back of your mind one day and you know, you know, things aren't working out for the client or something like that. And you're just like, Hmm, let me, let me relook this one up and like give it a shot and something in your brain tells you, Hey, that might be the winner, you know, some algorithms going back there or something like of that nature. So I was like, all right, try respected that. And uh, I agree with him. Um, you do, you know, in any course it's like that, but, uh, you know, and that go goes for anything. I know, um, even like modalities since that sort of stuff, I don't really use modalities. I even had like a, it's a thing I had like a two year streak going without having to use modalities in my clinic. So either ice, heat, stem, ultrasound. I use NMES. I didn't really count that, you know, for some ACLs and that sort of stuff, but like, you know, I stem or E stem and that sort of stuff. But uh, there's been times where, um, you know, I had a client, it was a shoulder client, I was doing all the right things. And he mentioned something about E stem the first time. I was like, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll get to that. And um, he was had ups and downs. And I don't know if he mentioned it again or I decided to apply it uh, like weeks down the road. And that was the kicker. That was really, it stopped the up and down roller coaster effect that he had. Fucking East stem uh, of all things. Um, I know Scott Burns mentioned a guy about um, doing ultrasound to someone's back. Uh, a guy was sold on it. Um, yeah. He kept saying that he was getting better, but he kept talking about ultrasound. So Scott just did it, and the guy was cured, and he was by the next session. That's so, yeah, right. So, um, if you didn't have that in your toolbox, if you not turn the damn thing on, or you just you just threw it out, um, you know, it, it's just you wouldn't gotten that person better quicker. Um, obviously, as as we say, is investing in your differential diagnosing, and you know, you know, some skilled therapists can, especially in regards to modalities. That's why I don't use it as much. Is you can kind of negotiate your way out of it and still be effective. But you know, sometimes what's the herb? You know, ultrasounding someone once and they're you know fully cured. Uh, does that really result in dependency? Probably not. Um, so just, you know, some things in regards to that kind of off related topic, but yeah, I think it's a good, good thing to wrap up on there. Um, yeah, actually, you mind if I say something I'll else? Go ahead. Um, I, have, I got a little bit of beer left. And, and we just had a course too. And our course, we did extremity manipulations, upper and lower, probably taught, I don't know, Jerry, would you say 20 plus techniques, including variations, yeah. right? Um, you know, variations for people with small hands, outsized therapists, whatever. And just as we're doing this, um, this podcast and, you know, we're talking back and forth, you know, I think some of the learning curve that makes clinicians uh, as good as they, they are, especially, you know, the top tier ones and no insult to, to anybody practicing, because if you're practicing and you're trying to get better, you are getting better. Um, some of it is just, it takes time. And this is kind of me reflecting uh, you have to go down these different roads or, or, or bunny holes, bunny trails, 
um, where you're learning all of Maitland's philosophy, all of Syriax's philosophy, all of Adrian Lowe's philosophy, all of Clayton Board's philosophy, all of uh, ASTEM philosophy, all of dry kneeling philosophy, whatever the case may be. Um, NMES philosophy, what, what are the mechanisms at play? What, are, what do we think is going on? Because it's the quest for knowledge and, and, and learning all these different things that then gives you the clinical decision-making skill that will make you successful. Um, because you've probably tried one technique, you've tried another technique, you've understood through and through, okay, I need to do some of the basics well over and over again. You know, a lot of these, you know, good courses will harp on the basics, but I don't think you could just, you know, when you come out of PT school, you're, you're given the basics, but you're not a good clinician. Um, you know, and I, I guess I use the term good in, um, you know, relatively, right. Um, but that evolves, the more you learn, the more you try, the more you see. Um, so I, I just think there, there, uh, you know, there's an inherent learning curve and it, it stems from trying to learn as many things as possible. But I think it's important to be able to take a step back and not tie yourself necessarily to one thing. Um, I don't know, just, uh, just something that kind of popped in my head there at the the end and, and also getting some feedback with the course that we had and just kind of the more and more we teach. Um, yeah, just, just kind of, uh, some thoughts in my head that I decided to pick vomit out for everybody. <laughs> no, no, that's good. Uh, I, I, I agree with that and I can kind of go off more on it. And I, I don't, if you're coming out of PT school thinking you are, you say it's relative and you're thinking, are you good or you're good enough? Uh, I think you seriously need uh, almost a reality check in a sense is you're never quite good enough. And there's still still things I get frustrated about because I'm not good enough with my clients or you, everybody's got a tricky client. I'm like, why can't I figure this out quicker? Or why is it taking this long? Or why did it take an extra session? Or why did I uh, do this and they didn't respond as well to it? So um, yeah, you're, you should always kind of think you're never quite good enough, um, especially from the student level, not to knock you or anything like that. Um, I just kind of think that's the mentality that we should have and should never quite settle, uh, in this, as long as you're practicing, uh, I think you should never quite settle. That's just me. But, um, yeah, before I go too much down that road, but, uh, yeah, I think that's a good way to wrap up, uh, part one of this, uh, manual therapy, uh, history, uh, discussion and uh yeah i thought it was a good one and uh you know thanks for listening everyone and uh if you have any you know comments or questions or opinions uh we uh, uh we welcome them uh we're at nips and sips uh, on all the major social media platforms uh feel free to subscribe to us uh probably be easier as uh even though we're pretty uh you know in the middle with things uh we do get kicked off of some social media sort of stuff so you know can't post it to everything so feel free to sub subscribe to us so you know when we're dropping the episode uh and uh yeah i'm at the decent doctor at traffic the therapeutics and brandon's at think like a fellow and at pursuit pt now um and uh yeah brandon last remarks 
Yeah, I guess wrap up. Uh, I know this this episode will probably hit in a couple of weeks, but we are um, having a uh, lumbo pelvic course and uh, Jeremy's clinic in the end of October, the twenty fourth, twenty fifth. Going to be going over, um, you know, thrust and non-thrust um, manual therapy, neurodynamics, um, exercise progressions, uh, looking at mechanical low back pain, non-mechanical low back pain, some pain science stuff, um, directional preference, really how to break up some treatment best base classifications and how that has evolved as well. So um, weekend uh, packed uh, two days there. And then uh, in December, we have the first weekend, uh, I believe that's the 5th, 6th, um, whatever that Saturday or Sunday is, we have a, our spinal manip course up at Pursuit PT. That's a two-day course. That one's basically all manipulations, um, follow-up corrective um, mobilizations or self-mobilizations to, to kind of couple and pair with uh, the spinal manips. Um, so that's always a, um, has been a, probably our best uh, song course to, to this day, always reaching double digits. So um, look out for that, guys. We also have our um, membership, video membership, uh, which has over 100 uh, manual therapy videos now. We just uploaded uh, about 20-something from the course this past weekend. Uh, we have our mentorship program going as well, going strong. Um, and now, actually, we have a call tonight as well uh, on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So uh, if you guys uh, have been thinking about it, uh, reach out to us. We'll be happy to take you through a tour. Uh, show you what it's about, answer any questions, uh, and hopefully uh, we'll see you guys either at one of our courses or signed up in the mentorship in the future. Very awesome. Uh, all right, cool, everyone. Thanks for listening in, and uh, cheers, everybody. Good, good. Oh, shoot.